Um, well, we are going to jump right in, uh, and we're going to be picking it up in Genesis chapter 29. Uh, and uh, Ian's taken the last couple Sunday nights. Um, we have gotten into the life of Jacob. And Jacob, uh, as one who truly is uh, what we can call uh, the deceiver, if you will. He's the, he is one who's got, he's a fascinating character because he's one who God has put his hand of blessing upon him um, in spite of him. Uh, he's a schemer. Uh, he's used, he's actually used deception as a means of getting ahead. Uh, however, um, God has, uh, as we considered when we first began our, our morning study in Genesis, God is still the author in control of his narrative. And I think we can't lose sight of that. It doesn't mean that Jacob isn't a player and that doesn't mean that God is responsible for Jacob's schemes. Um, what is clear, as we'll see tonight, is that God um, is working in spite of those schemes and still fulfilling his mission and vision for redemption for humanity. Um, so uh, let's uh, pick it up in Genesis chapter 29. Um, and we're going to begin verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on that well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and, the wa and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Look at this. This is really interesting because I, I, just, I just noticed this uh, when I was studying this, but this uh, picture that it re required multiple shepherds to move the stone off the mouth of the, the well because um, we're going to see something interesting that Jacob does. It says, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, it is, well, it is well with him? They said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. In other words, the stone is massive. We have to do this together. So we wait till all the flocks are here. Um, but while he was still speaking, verse 9, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, uh, his mother's brother, Jacob came near, and look what Jacob does. Jacob rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son and she ran and told her father uh, so th there's this unique picture here of Jacob uh, there's the 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 writer is wanting us to understand that Jacob is special that God's anointing is on him in spite of all the complications of his character there's uniqueness to him and here there seems to be almost supernatural strength uh, demonstrated uh, something that required all the shepherds so I mean it almost points you forward to the stories that you'll get like Samson uh, like what's going on here and I think that the point is that this is God's um, elect 
vessel, vehicle. And, and Jacob, there's not, not any sort of uh, emphasis is placed upon this other than that it's set up like a heroic narrative. Um, but unlike the heroic narratives of, of ancient Greek or Roman mythology, um, the, the biblical, the mythopic in the biblical um, is marked by something really unique that you do not have uh, in the myths of, uh, that, that we're familiar with, which is uh, there is a, a deeply human component um, still to our characters that, that I feel like the scripture allows us to see even in God's chosen vehicles by which he, he supernaturally works. By the way, I'm not insinuating that this is myth. Um, I, and when I use the word myth, I actually mean a lot more to it than the idea of some sort of man-made um, story, but, but historical narratives that are infused with, um, with sacred meaning. Uh, is, is how, I would def how I would define it when it comes to how we look, consider scripture and the way that language is used um, and infused with incredible symbol, uh, which means that it's the ordinary is infused with divine meaning, which is how we should actually view the world. It's what I would call as Christians ha viewing the world with a sacramental cast, um, the ability to see God's hand um, uh, behind uh, the things that we experience. And that's what the, the writer is helping us see um, the divine meaning um, in what seems like a straightforward narrative. And there seems to be some special mark upon Jacob, which I think is fascinating. So what, it, what happens? And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, and as soon as Laban had heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, uh, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. It's a really weird way of saying that Leah was not attractive. Uh, she had weak eyes, uh, and that's literally what the, the Hebrew means. It's just there, she wasn't as, uh, as beautiful as Rachel. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. I want to just point out, I was sharing this with the guys the other night, um, that, uh, that love is the only thing that compels um, obedience in the same direction uh, that love is the is the the it's literally the gasoline for the engine um, of moving we're not going to maintain a faithfulness um, uh, toward God in a world like we live in unless we actually are are driven by love the powerful picture um, of the gospel is that we're, we are uniquely and divinely infused uh, with a supernatural love, agape love. But here there is a picture of just how powerful even, 
even uh, eros is, um, or just falling in love with someone, romantic love, uh, there is a, I think for Christians, uh, we are called into sacred romance um, to, to fall in love with Jesus and to be a conduit of that love is the thing that compels, it's the thing that keeps me a pastor. Because there's nothing easy about shepherding a church. I mean, if I pick my own path, I just would do music. That's what's easiest and the most fun. Uh, but shepherding is an incredible responsibility, it's, and it weighs. But the love of Christ and my deep desire for people to experience that love is the thing that continues to motivate me. Um, and it's the, it's the thing also that tends to be the corrective when I tend to go wayward. And it's when love wanes that I also tend to, to drift. It's, it's the danger of losing our first love. And I just think this is a powerful, this is a very human illustration of that, but the, the fact that seven years of service to his uncle was nothing because he was compelled and driven by his love for Rachel. Um, and I think it's a beautiful, uh, it's just a beautiful insight into how powerful love is as a motivator for human existence. And it says, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her. <laughs> so romantic, that is, what a, what a phrase. That's what I said um, to my father-in-law. No. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Give me your daughter that I may go in. I mean, like, this is such a disturbing, but I'd like to meditate on it just because I've already made it awkward. Um, <laughs> for my time is completed. He's like, I'm ready. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. And you know how uh, marriage, Jewish marriages were consummated. The, literally, the celebration was a tent in the middle of the celebration, and the groom would go in and have sex with the wife. And that was how the marriage was consummated. Um, and what, does, what happens here? So Laban gathered all the people. And, but in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be the servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? So this is a, a, a really powerful uh, uh, narrative in showing us as we've been talking about sin um, and fall is the consequences. You can be God's chosen vehicle of blessing. You can be forgiven and redeemed. But don't think that you can play the fool um, and, and maintain a posture of a deceiver and it not ultimately catch up with you. Uh, that sin has consequences. It, we will be found out. Um, and I think that this is a powerful picture of Jacob now receiving the, the, same, uh, the same treatment that, he, that has marked his life up to this point. Um, and I think God is utilizing all of this to bring out of Jacob the character that he is after. Um, but I, I, I love this. He's like, did I serve, serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? So this is the first time uh, in the narratives about Jacob that he becomes the object rather than the source of deception. And I think the similarity between what Laban does to Jacob and what Jacob did to Isaac is, is what we should probably pay attention to. Jacob was able to exchange the younger for the older where Laban reverses the trick and exchanges the older 
for the younger. Jacob ultimately here gets what he deserves. If we, we receive what we, what we give. Uh, and, you know, in the, in, the, in the East, they call it karma. Um, uh, as Christians, we just call it sin. Um, sin begets sin. Deception begets deception. Violence begets violence. This is the nature of, of the human heart. Um, and I think it's an incredible warning that we, that Jacob up to this point has been blessed in his deceptions, but his deceptions will not sustain him. And in order for him to become Israel, um, God has to strip him of the, of the role of the deceiver. And he's gonna strip him of that through a lot of heartache. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed, uh, completed her work. Then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant, Bilhah, to his daughter, Rachel, to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. This is, a, once again, a passage that speaks to God working despite um, humans making bad decisions. Uh, we saw it with Abraham um, and Sarah uh, and, and with the, the, the challenges that were, were confronted with, with sleeping with Hagar. God did not intend. Uh, there have been uh, movements uh, often that turn into cults uh, that have moved toward this idea that God um, is for uh, having multiple wives. Uh, but scripture, what God permits and what, uh, what God allows to happen and what he, what he desires to happen is very different. Uh, and God tolerates a lot of things, even things that we do that's really stupid. Um, and, and we are so grateful that the scales tip toward mercy. But none of the stories of polygamy in scripture are positive they always have incredible conflict. And the thing that I think is really fascinating is that he says he loved, it doesn't say that he only loved Rachel and not Leah. It says that he loved Rachel more, which means he loved Leah as well, but he did not love her as well. Um, and this is because the human heart is, is divided. And I think, that, I think that this picture, this principle, um, anyone that would try to support polygamy, um, and, and we, even in our in our secular culture uh, in the last, it's funny, you guys know, just like 10 years ago, um, I, f I feel like it was about 10 years ago, the whole um, polyamorous relationships was a big, big conversation. Um, I, and uh, my son actually was working with a, a clothing company where the, the, the guy was in a um, open relationship. And lo and behold, he calls Henry all upset and he's like, I don't want to do this. I'm in love with, I'm in love with my wife. I don't want, I don't want to be in this. I'm like, wow, it took you guys entering into this, blowing up your, your relationship to discover that it's not, that the heart is not meant to be divided like that. Um, and that's exactly what Jesus, the principles put forth for us uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. What is, what does Jesus says? No man can what? Serve two masters. 
uh, you'll either hate one and love the other. And I think that the principle is like, we aren't, we aren't made uh, to be uh, in that kind of intimate relationship uh, with more than one person. And if you're married, you know as well as I do, one is plenty. Maybe, maybe more than one can even handle sometimes. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, my wife's like, you know, if it was, if it was permitted, if it would mean I get a break from you, maybe I'd be okay with it. No, I'm just joking. She would never say that, but I'm sure she's thought it. Uh, this is the reality, is that God did not design us for this. Um, and so what we're going to see is what immediately happens is what, is what Gerard calls, and we, we begin to see it today, it's the blame shifting, it's the scapegoat mechanism, um, and it's the whole mimetic process where the desire now is for what someone else has. Um, and this is all of our great literature, this is <laughs> all of our great plays, this is often what our music's about, uh, is the, the, mimetic, uh, the mimetic drive, which is I desire something not because it's a desire from within me, the desire is created by seeing that it's something that someone else has that I don't. So it is, it is a, an evil desire that actually turns us upon one another um, and Gerard would argue it's the source ultimately of all sin um, because it leads to lying, stealing, adultery and ultimately murder. Um, and it creates violence within a society which gives rise to the need for the scapegoat mechanism uh, which is we need to find someone to to blame for the, all the troubles we're experiencing uh, and then often the scapegoats become objects of worship once they've been killed uh, it's a fascinating um, reality throughout human history uh, but this is one of those situations where Jacob does something that goes beyond what God intended a man shall leave his mother and father, be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and that is the only appropriate um, sexual union as Scripture declares. One man, one woman in a marriage covenant. Not one man, two women, three, four women, uh, as you see. And none of, this, uh, none of this works out well. Notice what it goes on to say. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. And I, I love this because Leah didn't do anything in this. She's doing what her father asked her to do. She, married, she, she goes in to be with Jacob. That was what was appropriate, is that the oldest we married off first. Um, we have to remember these are days and uh, still in many parts of the world arranged marriages are still a thing um, and and she gets the short end of the stick she's not as pretty as her sister she's not as loved by her husband and she's just being a good daughter and trying to be a good wife and it is God who sees her situation and the Lord I think I think in in doing this is um, is blessing uh, blessing Leah, uh, he, sees, he sees her pain, and it's also a way of God rebuking Jacob um, as well. When the Lord saw Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. 
Um, so this is a wordplay, Hebrew wordplay, um, on, on the Lord has seen my misery. The name Reuben um, is connected to this wordplay. Like all these names um, correspond to the little phrases that she says about her situation. Uh, so remember I said earlier that naming, uh, you know, we pick names because we think they're cool today. We generally, generally names aren't uh, names for our kids or not. Um, I'm going to name them with an, the idea that whatever the meaning of that name is going to be the core identity of this human being. Uh, but this, the Hebrew scriptures are filled with this idea that then that people become an embodiment of the very meaning of the names. Um, and so I, I love this. She names, what a weird thing to like, uh, like that's a gr serious reminder to her husband. Like, what's, she, what's the name of our son again? The Lord has seen my misery. That's his name. That's <laughs> pretty awesome. <laughs> I'm like, that, talk about passive aggressive. That's just every day. Hey, Lord who has seen her misery. Come over here, son. Um, but that's, that's essentially what the name means. So I think that's pretty genius. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Uh, again, Simeon is associated um, with a series of Hebrew words, it's wordplay that means the Lord heard that I am not loved. <laughs> so the, all these names are like, she's, she's wanting to make sure uh, that these children um, are um, a way of saying, God sees me, um, even if others that should aren't. Um, and so it's a recognition of blessing, but it's also, it's also a, um, a means of, of reflection on, on how this inappropriate marriage union, that is a marriage with more than one person, is creating a tremendous amount of tension. Uh, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard um, that I'm hated, he's given me a son also, his name shall be called Simeon. Again, verse 30, 34, she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And that is such a heartbreaking statement. My husband will love me now because I've given him three sons. And, she, and therefore, his name was called Levi. And Levi is linked to this Hebrew phrase, my husband will be attached, will become attached. Uh, and she conceived again and bore a son. And this time, I will pray, and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Judah is linked to the phrase, I will praise the Lord. All of these are word games, which is, I'm, I'm, as I've been studying Genesis um, and even uh, just referencing um, just Tim and, and um, John Salehammer uh, and Brueggemann and multiple other voices, the, the amount of wordplay uh, in Genesis is like mind-boggling. It's like a it's like layers and layers of puzzles that, where these little word plays create these motifs that will continue to play themselves out through all that. And that's what I was talking about, it, that like the symbolism, the divine meaning that is spoken into almost every sentence is a little, is a fascinating little um, uh, kind of portmanteau. 
Ja. Yeah, I mean, they, the, the word play is found, it's actually in the, how the, the letters, it's almost like little rhyming schemes. And so when you look at the Hebrew, the words, um, like today when I was, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You're not going to see it in the name Simeon. Um, but if you were to look at the Hebrew letters for it, um, it's pieces of the phrases that she uses. Um, so like uh, when the uh, uh, example of the wordplay that from this morning's message um, was uh, Erum and Aaron, which is uh, the serpent um, is becomes moves from being tricky to being cursed or being wise to being cursed. And so it's these little plays. It's literally just a one letter change um, so that you're almost that one of the ways that the um, Hebrew writers and you see this in the Psalms is that there are all these alliterations that made memorization possible. Um, so it's like these really fascinating. It's just a very genius language and the words often have multiple meanings um, and they, they have a smaller alphabet. Uh, if you look at the Hebrew for this for the text, what it takes to translate it into English, it's like we have to use like 15 more words to say what the because they don't have any vowels. Um, so they're just insinuated, which is another fascinating thing. I wish I knew it's, it's something that uh, is um, uh, frustrating. I wish I, I w wish I had the languages uh, degree. Luckily, there's a lot of wonderful tools uh, to help. And it really helps when you have a good friend who's a Hebrew scholar. <laughs> so, um, so Judah, I will praise the Lord. And then what happens? When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, here's the mimetic process, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. <laughs> that, that is such a, like, I don't even know what to make of that kind of um, ultimatum. Like, you, something I've not been able to do. You need to do this or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to live. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So even Jacob is recognizing that there is, uh, there is a divine hand upon what is happening. Um, what is sad is uh, his inability to see his part in it, the corrective reality uh, in what he's saying that maybe Jacob you should ask yourself am I doing what God wants me to be doing uh, but instead he becomes angry at her and I think this is one of the the realities where sin is entered in and that all of a sudden that kind of scapegoat like blaming envy I envy my sister Leah envies Rachel wishes that she had Jacob's love Rachel envies Leah she wishes she had the children Jacob, um, it creates Jacob an anger where Jacob is um, playing dumb and acting like he might not have anything to do with what's happening and just puts it all on Rachel. It's some sort of sin issue that you've got. Um, and, and here um, we see the breakdown um, where this is what sin always does. It breaks down human relationships uh, and there is a significant breakdown here. And then what does she say? And what does this reflect? It sounds very similar to Sarah. Um, said, and then she said, 
Here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Dan is linked to Denaya uh, Elohim. God has vindicated me. So each one of these names is connected to the phrase, God has judged me. There's, there's the connection to the name. Rachel's servant Bill had conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Naphtali is linked to, this, to the Hebrew words that say, I have wrestled with mighty wrestlings, wrestlings of God. I have had a great struggle, essentially. Um, and then Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. She took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah. So the wives are piling up now. Like things are getting crazy. And it's all driven by a competition between the sisters because they are both trying to have the affection and favor of one man. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. And what happens? Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. And she called his name Gad. Gad is linked to this this statement good fortune gad means good fortune has come uh, leah's servant zilpah bore jacob a second son and leah said happy am i for a woman have called women have called me happy so she called his name asher my nephew's name asher and his middle name is thor so his name literally translates as happy thunder which is a sweet name it's pretty cool um in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrake. So the mandrake was... Uh, considered to be this uh this this thing that will help with becoming pregnant um and uh this is this was wrapped up more in superstition of the day than probably uh scientific reliability um and we're already seeing that it is god who is blessing with the children um so it's so fascinating these humans in desperation through all of this this covetousness and and uh, conflict that's in the relationship, like these extreme measures of, of what they'll do to bargain for the ability to have more children. Um, and it says, Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's ma uh, mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night and God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son and Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave him, gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar, uh, which means rewarded me. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. 
And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And Zebulun um, literally is connected to this word play around God has presented me with a precious gift. Um, this time my husband will honor me now. Uh, that is such a fascinating um, uh, thing, this idea of being able to purchase someone's affections. Uh, afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Dinah has no, there's no word association with Dinah. So it's interesting that the sons which form the 12 tribes of Israel um, and be interesting to look at their names, the meaning of their names and their histories. And um, I did not have time to do that, but that's a great homework thing to see if those names play out in those tribes' individual histories. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, um, Jacob said to Laban, send me away. Oh, sorry, I, I skipped a section. Then God remembered Rachel. I, I love that, that, that phrase. Um, it's been used before, but God remembers um, is that, that picture of God's concern. God coming close. Uh, it's, it's a very intimate statement. God remembered. He doesn't forget. Um, he, he knows our pain. Um, and uh, the challenging thing is um, we don't trust that he remembers because we don't like his timing. Uh, and I think that that's, that, is, that is a tension um, that is still played out today in God's children. Um, God remembered. He hasn't forgotten you. If you're waiting for God for something, he hasn't forgotten you. Uh, and God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. And literally Joseph's name, God has taken away my disgrace. Um, to take away is the, um, is the connection. May the Lord, and it, really the name is connected to the phrase, may the Lord add to me another son. So in addition, um, he's taken away my approach and he's added to me um, a son. As, so, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages. It's an interesting thing, Laban utilizing something that is, uh, that is strictly forbidden um, uh, among the Jews, which is uh, seeking out secret knowledge through divination, which is a, literally like doing tarot cards. Uh, and uh, and <laughs> he doesn't, it doesn't take divination to see that God's hand of blessing is on on Jacob uh, but the point is is that God is the is the big player behind the scenes and what we keep seeing is that human beings in their sin um, thinking that they're the ones responsible for what's happening uh, that they're the ones that with the with some sort of insight or wisdom uh, and what what happens here it says name your wages and I will give it um, and I will give it Jacob said to him you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you have had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I, wherever I turn. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, what shall I give you? Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. 
If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pasture all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you have said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, everyone that had white on it, every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured, uh, pastured the rest of Laban's flock. Then Jacob, okay, this is super fascinating. Look at the, um, Jacob's be, trying to be, uh, tricky here or clever it says he took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks and the troughs that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink and since they bred when they came to drink the flocks bred in front of the sticks and so the flocks brought forth striped speckled and spotted <laughs> so I just want to point out that this is very similar to the mandrakes, okay? There's been, nobody understands what the heck is going on. There is no proof that peeling some sticks and sticking them in front of sheep when they're drinking from troughs or eating food produces a particular color of sheep. So God is the one doing the miracle and Jacob's doing like this stupid, weird, like parlor trick and doesn't, and, and I, th I think the point is meant to make us feel the very human component of this and God's willingness to bless in spite of that. So in, in case you're wondering if this is like some kind of like proven thing that has worked for, th there is no evidence of that whatsoever. And like no, that scholars are like, we don't really know what, what they're talking about here. It's kind of like the mandrakes. I mean, the, so, uh, so maybe this is wrapped up in ancient, you know, near Far East, you know, shepherding folklore I mean who knows uh, the, the things uh, my wife's granny uh, was from uh, uh, Devon uh, which is uh, southern England and it's just filled with uh, like incredible amounts of superstition um, and you know she is a good she is a, a love was a, the most lovely Jesus loving human being but she's still like was unbelievably superstitious about all kinds of weird things. That was just kind of part of her English countryside, you know. St like, I just remember, like, stirring my coffee with a knife, and she's like, stir with a knife, stir up strife. <laughs> so I kind of feel like it's that kind of thing that's happening here. Um, but the point that we're going to see is that God blesses everything that Jacob does um, in spite of the stupidity of Jacob, even the fact that, so God isn't blessing the fact that Jacob has multiple marriages. He's choosing to bless this family because there's a redemption purpose in it, but he's not responsible for the silliness or the bad decisions or the infighting or the, or the, the jealousy, the things that drive the desire. God has a plan. He's creating a nation and he is working through the folly of human conduits. And I think that that's one of the key things that we're, to, we're called to draw from, the, from, from this text. Um, it says, then Jacob, uh, let's see, 
The flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth stripes speckled and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the stripe and all the black in the flock of, uh, um, of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So however these flocks were producing this kind of miraculous um, uh, production, the thing that Jacob does do that's, that's a deception is he takes the stronger um, and gives his uncle the weaker. Thus, the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, Jacob heard the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said, now divine intervention. We saw the close. You guys saw the close last week chapter 28, um, the powerful vision at Bethel, um, Jacob laying his head down on a rock because that's exactly what everyone wants to lay their head on when they sleep, um, and is given this incredible vision of angels ascending and descending upon the ladder, the powerful picture that where it's tied to John 1:51, Jesus says, greater things will you see when you see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, so much powerful imagery in that in that story um, but now God is there's divine revelation again and God tells uh, Jacob what to do and what do we have here then the Lord said to Jacob return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you the promise that he is with him uh, Laban is provoked to jealousy because of Jacob's wealth in the same way that Isaac's wealth um, provoked the Philistines to, je um, to jealousy. So there's these, once again, these kind of common repeating threads um, in, in, in narratives. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Jacob, um, and so I think that this is, um, this is a, a, a powerful um, reminder of a theme that will be continually played out. This is a very similar statement to what we see Joseph say, say in, um, in chapter 50 of Genesis. Listen, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And Jacob seems to be kind of pointing to the same thing. Your father doesn't regard me, but God is with me. He's going to work through this situation. He's utilizing it. Uh, and, and I think that the divine presence uh, illustrates um, the writer's own hope and what God's presence should mean for the sons of Jacob. Uh, and so this, the, remember these, these, these narratives were meant to be, uh, this, these stories were given to the children of Israel. They were given their own cosmology. They are given their own history. Uh, they had been slaves. They're now, they're being reminded of who they are, um, of that God has chosen, um, God has chosen a people. Uh, and he is working out his redemptive purposes. Uh, and and there, is a, there is a design here, a divine design, that God's people should trust in God's presence. I'm with you. Um, and that is a, a really beautiful thing. 
You know that I have served your father with all my strength, verse 6. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God, notice now Jacob is recognizing it was God all along that blessed him. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that made it with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock that are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered him and said, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So um, here the daughters um, in frustration uh, toward their, their father's treatment of, of Jacob um, they believe that actually what Laban has um, what Laban has lost to Jacob was theirs, and so they 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 there's a there's there's a, a, a sort of an ugliness in the way that they're responding, um, but there is also a trust uh, in Jacob. And the question that I I immediately find myself um, asking is. Because uh, there's, there's am- ambiguity in what is their relationship to the living God um, at this point. Uh, and uh, and how, how is that being played out? And the narrative isn't giving us as much insight there as we would like, um, as I would like. But, I, but all I can say is that the, the recognition um, of God blessing them with their children um, shows that there's there's an awareness, um, but how relationally um, aware are they? I'm, I'm not sure. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he gained, the livestock in his possessions that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob, and here this is the very thing that I'm saying. Uh, I, I think it's so interesting because it says God remembered Rachel. God blesses Rachel. Um, but there's, they, they are, the pagan gods um, are still very much a part of their, of their worldview. Um, and, and the superstitions of that land are a part of that mixture that's at play within this family. And what does it go on to say? And Jacob tricked Laban and Aramon by not telling that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him in the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, uh, God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob either good or bad. So be careful of speaking against the Lord's anointed. And I just want that to be a warning to you. No, I'm just joking. 
<laughs> I actually heard a pastor say that once when he was being criticized by someone in his body. He's like, do not speak against the Lord's anointed. I'm like, whoa, that is a, that's a cocky statement. I don't think I'd be comfortable. Uh, I deserve things thrown at me here and there. So I, I would never say something like that. But if God tells you not to, you should listen. Um, and what happens... I just lost my place. Oh, here we are. 25. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And Laban, with his kinsmen, pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods? Really? That's what he's worried about? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid... For I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Notice how many times fear um, in the Genesis narratives uh, leads to dishonesty. Uh, and I think it plays deeply into that picture in Scripture. The fear of man is a snare, but the fear of the Lord is wisdom. And every time we see the fear of man played out, dumb decisions are made. Abraham being fearful, so he tells he tells people that his wife is his sister and, and brings, and brings uh, people into danger because God, once again, has chosen to put blessing upon them. Uh, and so I, here you have, again, the admittance of, of fear. Um, and, and I think that that, that fear um, led, uh, has led to the tension that is being experienced. And anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. Oh, he said, because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. And anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Rachel has taken gods secretly from her father, false gods, um, and her father's wrath. And Jacob has made this brash statement now. Whoever has... Um, your gods will be killed. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Comfortable. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of woman is upon me. So he searched, but he did not find the household gods. So she pretends that she is experiencing a menstruation cycle, um, which I think it'd be cool if we return to just calling it the way of women. Um, <laughs> is upon you. That would be like, how are you doing? The way of women is upon me right now. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Um, uh, I'm going to tell my daughter and wife that's what they have to say to me from now on. Just, I'm sorry, Dad, that I'm being grouchy. That's the way of women. 
<laughs> so I'm actually glad it's not that statement. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. And what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat had consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house, I have served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock and you have changed my wages ten times if the God of my father the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac has not been on my side surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night then Laban answered and said to Jacob the daughters are my daughters the children are my children the flocks are my flocks and all that you see is mine but what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, Gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jager Sehadathu. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Gilead and Mitzpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me. And when we are out of one another's sight, if you oppress my daughters or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one is with us, see God is a witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap in the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread, spent the night in the hill country and early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned home. This is the word of the Lord.